Really, really great to have uh, Dr. John in the house. And um, for those of you who missed it, last night was just spectacular. In fact, last night was probably the best meeting I have ever been in in my life, and you missed it. <laughs> but this morning, this morning is going to be even better because uh, John is here. No pressure, no pressure, John. Um, Sue and I first met John Andrews nearly 15 years ago um, when we went to Bible College, and uh, John was uh, one of our lecturers. In fact, John was one of our first lecturers. And we were his first class when he started uh, teaching at Mattersea. And um, I want to tell you, it was just a a glorious time. John's um, insights into the scripture, his depth of understanding is just brilliant. And God has given him a great gift of being able to unpack that for us and sow that into us in such a way that we can respond to it and let it strengthen us and grow in that and uh, become more of what God is calling us to be. Before John preaches, I just want to make you aware that out in the foyer there, there are some books. Buy a book. Not because John needs the money, but because you need to be investing in yourself. Okay? Yes, if you've already got all of those books. In fact, there's one there I haven't got. If you've already got all of those books, buy a couple and give them to somebody else. I just want to to, uh, point to three particularly, just in case you're not sure which to buy. Um, This is a great book. Moving Beyond Mediocrity, okay? Um, It's very, very easy in life and in ministry to settle, you know, to to kind of be doing well and to just settle in that place. And this book is designed to kind of push you off that ledge, uh, to help you to uh, understand some of the principles of growth and development and to become better at being you. Are you with me? So, so if you're not sure which book to buy and you're just thinking, I want something that'll kind of move me on in my journey with God, something that'll just challenge me and get me off the ledge a little bit, that's the book. Okay, Moving Beyond Mediocrity. 252, Learning to Grow on Purpose. Is this about intentionality? My name is John Andrews and I make up words intentionality do you see what I did there intentionality it's a little it's a little joke we have going on between us I I think it's funny John John laughs just to be polite okay Uh, this book uh, will help you to be intentional in terms of investing in yourself um, and growing on purpose you know growth doesn't happen by accident it doesn't just, you can't just sit at home and become a bigger person. And this book will help you with some of the principles of how to invest in yourself, to develop yourself, to become everything that God is calling you to be. So that's a great book uh, if you're interested in that sort of thing. What are you laughing at? Nothing. Don't make me come down there. Okay, and this, this is John's latest book. Um, I haven't read this yet because um, I, I bought a copy and I showed it to Sue and I haven't seen it since. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping when she's finished with it, I might get it back and get to read it. But the freedom of limitation. I hear a lot of people make comments like, um, I would love to change the world, but I live in Stapleford. Um, I would love to be able to have an impact, but, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm just me and I can't go anywhere and I can't do anything. And we we kind of, in our heads, put limitations on ourselves. And God hasn't done that. 
And, uh, you know, one of the things that struck me, I've not read this yet, but I remember John talking one time about some of the stuff in here. And he said, you know, Jesus never traveled more than 80 miles from where he was born, from where he lived. Never traveled more than 80 miles from Nazareth. And yet he changed the world. Hello? So this idea that we've got to be jet-setting evangelists and, and we've got to be, you know, have more degrees than the Pope and, uh, you know, to be able to go anywhere and do anything, it's nonsense. And so this, the freedom of limitation will help you to explore where God has put you and why he's put you there and encourage you to use everything that God has given you and to use the place where he's put you to reach out uh, for the kingdom of God and not only see your life change but see the lives of others changed. So this will be a great book for that. So let me encourage you, if you're not sure which to buy, there's three, get, get all three. Okay, is there a discount if they buy three? Okay, there's a discount if you buy three. Get all three, okay? It's a great package. Yes? You're all very quiet. Come on. John's going to need some encouragement, you know, so... Uh, let me... John, why don't you come and I'll pray for you because... If I keep talking, we'll be here all day. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, thank you for this, man. Thank you for the great blessing that he's been to Sue and I um, over these years and uh, the great input that he's had into our lives. Thank you for the input he's had into this church, Lord, for um, the way that he has encouraged us and strengthened us through our vision weekends and the messages that he's brought that have been great meals for us uh, to, to take in. Uh, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would go even further, that you, as he speaks, that you would just anoint him with power, that, that the words Jesus. that he speaks, Lord, would just yeah. strike straight to the heart. Yeah. And this morning, he would strengthen, encourage, and build us up yeah. uh, in the faith and, uh, and spur us on, Lord, to greater works for the sake of your kingdom. So yes. we pray, bless him, yes. and use him this morning for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me just... Good morning. It is absolutely wonderful to be with you. What an incredible introduction. Thank you. And uh, it is truly a joy to be with you. I love uh, coming here and I'm just delighted. This is my first time back uh, since you've got this building and I'm just thrilled with this and what God's doing and the stuff that that we are on with and it's just absolutely brilliant. So thank you. Thank you for the wonderful hospitality. Uh, My son was with me yesterday and he just had a great day so well looked after and uh, I just want to commend you for that the leadership team for your generosity and setting a culture of generosity around that I get to travel to a lot of places and it's wonderful and uh, you're not always treated very well you know people don't always pay attention to the detail and it's wonderful when you go to somewhere and people really take care of you and look after you and I have felt that here I've felt uh, like a VIP so thank you very very much uh, for that and, uh, and just thank you for the opportunity of ministering to you and for you uh, this weekend and this morning. We, last night, looked at the whole issue of grace and truth. And I want to carry that on in another story uh, from John's Gospel. Last night we looked at a story of Jesus with a woman in John chapter 8, where he steps in and he does something amazing for this woman. We're going to look at a, another story in John's Gospel, and it's John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow the reading, then grab your Bible or your iPad or your smartphone or whatever it's on and turn to John chapter 4. 
if you can. That would be great. If you're a visitor or a guest with us, then you can just follow the reading. If you're a follower of Jesus, can I just encourage you every time you gather together, bring your Bible just to be, to, to open it up and just to have it on your, your knee or on your phone or on your iPad when we're reading the Word of God. Millions and millions of people would give anything for the Bible you've left at home. And, uh, and they really would. They, 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 put stuff on that table to get that Bible. And the Bible is the only book you own that can change your world. So I have tons of books. I have loads of books on my iPad. I've got books in my library and they're all great and it's wonderful. Uh, And you may buy one of my books today and it may bless you. But actually it's only the Word of God. The, The Word that comes out of God's mouth, that's the only Word that really changes us and transforms us. And we have a whole book full of those words. And, uh, and I want to encourage you to engage with that. So John chapter 4, we'll read uh, from verse 4 and it says this. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will come become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water he told her go call your husband and come back i have no husband she replied jesus said to her you are right when you say you have no husband Um, the fact is that you have had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband what you have just said is quite true Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Last night, we introduced the idea that Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's what John tells us in the very first chapter of John's gospel. It says that Jesus became flesh, the word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. And he came 
full of grace and truth. Then it goes on to say that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we hung around a little bit last night looking at this idea of grace and truth. That grace, as it were, makes a way and truth shows the way. And that actually, if we want to be effective as followers of Jesus in our world, we need the grace and truth combination. We don't just need grace, because grace on its own opens the door so wide that actually there are no real boundaries and there's no real meaning. And actually, we don't just need truth, because truth on its own can be harsh, and sometimes a little bit judgmental, and a little bit self-righteous. And actually, over the years, I suppose the church has been guilty of, of, of having that sort of mentality and attitude to the world around it. So actually what we need is both grace and truth. We need a grace that shows generosity and opens the door. And we need truth that shows God's heart and directs people and gives people, as it were, the way in which they should walk in their lives. We need both of those things together. We defined grace last night as God's favor in our lives that none of us deserve. So God, when we use the word grace, that's what we're talking about. That actually we're receiving something from God we didn't deserve. That's amazing. I stand before you today as a person who has received a huge amount of things from God that I did not deserve, primarily my, my salvation. I, I'm now a child of God. The Bible declares me to be one of God's children, and I didn't earn any of that. I didn't do anything to get it. It wasn't because I was born in a certain place, or I was a certain color, or a certain educational standard, or spoke with a certain accent. I got all of that because God was just generous. Yeah. Yeah. You're a hard crowd to please, right? I thought that was pretty good. That's amazing. And here's the problem. We, f- we forget that. You see, that's the problem. The, the problem is we forget how amazingly blessed we are. And I know, I know, you know, we're in the midst of challenges and problems and hassle. I know that that can overwhelm us. I get it. I live in the same world as you do. But actually, we gotta keep reminding ourselves that we're here because of the immense generosity of God. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're better than our next door neighbor. Because it's easy to compare ourselves to people, especially when they're worse. True? But actually, we're here today because God was just really generous. Do you know? I've got to keep remembering that. And I've been a Christian 40 years, and every day I have to remind myself, everything I've got, I got because he gave me it. Not because I earned it. Amen? Now, if we can hold that generosity, and then also find ways to apply God's truth to our world, my goodness, I think we've got an amazing combination. I think grace, generosity, will open the door for truth to rush in and touch people's lives. And in the story we've just read, that's sort of what happens. Jesus opens up the door to this woman's world by being really generous to her. Now, it's a difficult story in our culture to really get your head around because there's lots of stuff going on between him and her that you don't really understand unless you live in her world, in her first century world. So there's a sort of subtext going on because she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew and the Jews and the Samaritans really hated each other. That's all you need to know. They just hated each other passionately um, because of historic issues. So actually, Jesus, just by being there, is doing something amazing in this woman's world. But when we, when we take away all the first century cultural issues and boil this story down, 
it is really a story that could be applied and told in Stapleford today in the 21st century. It's a story where Jesus opens the door by grace and then allows truth to rush in. And actually he, he shows us some incredible principles that you and I could take as we go to our world and as we seek to reach our neighbors and as we seek to make this fantastic center uh, an amazing place for God. There are principles in here that can help us, that can really help me and you uh, understand the power of grace and truth. Because I, I love the statement that says Jesus came full of grace and truth, but I want to know what that looks like. I want to know, all right, I, I get the words grace and I get the word truth, but what do they look like in a real world situation? And last night in John 8, we saw what grace and truth looked like in a real world situation. And in John 4, we see it again. Here's Jesus showing me and you, this is what grace looks like and this is what truth looks like. And when they're combined together, this is what can happen. So what do we learn from Jesus in the context of this? A few things, hopefully, to help you and encourage you. Here's, here's the first thing I want you to see. Jesus went to her world. That's the first thing to see. That's grace. Jesus went to her world. Now, there's an interesting little phrase in here, verse 4 of the reading, if you were following it with me. And it says this. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, actually, technically, he didn't. Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. So what's happening is Jesus is down south and he's traveling up north. So in, in the southern part of Israel where Jerusalem was, um, actually, uh, th- that's where Jesus had been ministering. He's from the northern part of Israel called Galilee. And right in the middle between Galilee and Jerusalem is this block of land called Samaria. Now, there were three ways to get from north to south or south to north. One way was, was up the Jordan, up the Jordan basin, so you could literally follow the river basin, avoid Samaria entirely, and get to your destination. Most good Jewish people took that route. Because they didn't even want the dust of Samaria to get on their feet. Alright? Or you could go up the other side, up the coastal route. Now that was a bit more difficult, a little, a little bit more hassle, a little bit more dangerous, but you could also go up that route. The other route you could go was straight through the middle. In other words, you could go through Samaria. So when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's not because he hasn't got an option. It's because he made a choice. You see that? See, it's not, oh, well, he had to go through Samaria because there's only one route. No, he had to go through Samaria because there was something he wanted to do. Come on, are you there? You with me? See, see, Jesus made a decision to go to this place. This was not accidental. This was intentional. An intentionality. It's a long joke. It's a long story. Um, but, but he was intentional. He made a deliberate decision to go where she would be. And when you see this in Jesus, in the Gospels, you'll see it all the time. Now, there are some moments where Jesus responds to people. In other words, they come to him and he responds to them. And then there are times when Jesus goes to them. This is one of those moments where he's going to them. All right? He had to go through Samaria. A friend of mine uh, called Christine um, was part of the church in in Rotherham that we were a part of. Had a radical, I mean, a radical conversion. Christine was an angry, 
bitter woman. She was going through her third divorce. Uh, she was up to her neck in debt. And she came to church the morning she got saved. She came to church to beat me up. That's absolutely true. I'm not making that up because she had heard that I had done something to a member of her family, which of course I hadn't done, but she was so angry and she was so bitter that she thought, I'm going to go to church today, I'm going to beat up a pastor. Um, By God's grace, she didn't manage to get me, which was good because she probably would have beaten me up. She was pretty strong and pretty edgy. Um, So, so she didn't, she didn't actually manage to get close to me that day. So that was great. Instead of beating me up, she met Jesus. Got absolutely saved. In fact, I was preaching on the love of God. She was sitting in our auditorium somewhere around about where those boys are sitting. And literally, as I was preaching, she was crying her eyes out. And God was touching her. Well, Christine radically changed. She ended up, and she is still today, working in a a, a context in southern Africa. In part of her work, she reaches out to people who are suffering specifically with AIDS which is a huge issue in the particular context that she is in. And Christine noticed something. She used to go and visit the local hospital, and she noticed that at a certain time in the day, uh, the patients would gather on the steps of the hospital. And they would usually go out there either maybe just to rest or to drink, or, or maybe even some of them, if they could afford it, uh, they, they would smoke a cigarette. So that was where they would go, and they would gather on the steps. So Christine made a decision. She could have her lunch in the canteen or she could have her lunch on the steps of the hospital because that's where all the people were. So Christine made an intentional decision one day and she went out and she sat on the steps. She noticed a young man about 10, 10 yards from her and he was sitting on his own and he, he looked very, very poorly. He looked very unwell. She knew immediately what he had and what he was suffering from. And she opened up her packed lunch, and she started to eat her sandwich, and then she said to the young man, are you hungry? And he said to her, after a conversation, yes, I am. She said, would you like some of my sandwich? And so she shared the sandwich, and that was lovely. But then she had a, a cup full of water, and she said to him, are you thirsty? And he said, yes, I am. She said, would you like a drink from my cup? Okay. And he said to her, do you know what I have? And she said, yes, I do. Would you like a drink? And so he took a drink from the cup, which was one thing. And then Christine took the cup off him and drank from the cup. And that sort of freaked him out, right? Some of you have said, wow, that sort of was his reaction. And here's what he said to her. And this was the $64 million moment. He said to her, why would someone like you do that for me? Right? And then that's where truth comes. And so Christine said to her, well, the reason I'm on these steps is because God's transformed my life. Here's what God did for me, and here's what Jesus can do for you. And before the conversation was finished, Christine led that young man to the Lord. Six weeks later, he was dead. Wow. Now, what deep process did she go through? here's, Here's the deep process. She just worked out where the people were, and she went. That's it. Okay? Now, we can get all spooky about Jesus here and all spiritual and ooh. Listen, here's what Jesus did. He said, if I don't go through through Samaria, nobody will. So I'll go. That's it. Jesus just thought, well, there are people there that need God. So I'll go. And his disciples are freaked out by this. They're not enjoying this experience at all because this is... This is 
uncomfortable and difficult territory for them. But Jesus, all he does is go through this town and makes himself intentional in that area. Do you know, I, I just believe that your decision to, to, to take this building, your decision to do what you're doing, is like Jesus going through Samaria. It's making an intentional decision to say, we're going to position ourselves somewhere where people can gather or somewhere where people can find their, their needs met. And, and I love this about Jesus. He, he just goes where the people are. And as a result of that, he has encounters with people who are lost. That's grace. You see, see what truth will do, truth will say, let them come to us. We have the truth. If you want the truth, come to us. That's okay. That's all right. But grace says, actually, they're probably not going to come to us. Let's go to them. Hey, those leaflets. Come on. Three boxes of leaflets. Well, let's get them out. Amen. And there are two ways of giving out leaflets. You can just pick a street and put them through doors. And that's great. And let's do that. Or you could maybe take a half a dozen leaflets and say, Holy Spirit, in the next two weeks, is there anyone that I might meet in work or in the context of my community who could just need this leaflet? Amen? This invitation. See, if, if, if we open up our hearts to grace, God can take us to the sorts of places where people will respond so I couldn't do anything like that. But actually, we can all do that. Uh, Christine, no one's ever heard of Christine. She wasn't a superstar. She'd never been to Bible college. She hadn't got a degree. She was just a woman whose life had been transformed. As you just noticed, that's where all the guys and girls are sitting during the day. I'll go and sit with them. That was it. That was as radical as it got. And through that grace action, truth came. Amen? And maybe that leaf that will be an act of grace. That, that the Holy Spirit would direct you or take you. Maybe you're saying no for somebody that you've never asked. Don't we do that a lot? No, he, he wouldn't want to come to that event. Well, how do you know? Have you asked him? Don't, don't, don't say no for them. If Jesus had taken that attitude, the woman would never have been transformed. Well, Samaritans, they're never going to respond to my message. They're, they're, they're the scum of the earth. Why would they listen to me? But, but he didn't take that attitude. Well, well, let's give her the chance to say no. Most people in our community aren't rejecting Jesus. Most people in our communities have never heard of Jesus. Not rejecting him. They only reject him if you get to hear about him. True? Yeah, come on. And I, I, I'm not with the school that says, you know, all, all those sinners out there are against us. Most of those sinners out there don't know we're here. Honestly, I'm not trying to upset you. I'm just telling you, I, I, I'm a local church person. I believe in the local church. I, and actually, you know, sometimes we just think everybody's against us. And most of the time, they don't even know we're here. Yeah. Let's give them a chance to say no. <laughs> yes? And you never know, they just might say yes. Amen? Here's the second thing. So, so he went to her world. The second thing is this. He entered her world. There's one thing to go to Samaria, it's another thing to engage. Because look at Jesus' friends, his disciples. They're in Samaria, but they're not engaging. They're not entering. Right? 
I mean, as soon as they get there, they're off. Oh, we need to buy some food. We're gone. And, and actually, I just think that's, let's just get out of here. Let's, let's distance ourselves as much as possible from this context. See, it's not just about going. It's about entering. Look at what it says in verse 7. He says to the woman, radical this, really deep. He says, can I have a drink? How many years in rabbinical school, in Bible school, did Jesus have to go to to learn that technique? It's brilliant in its simplicity. He connects to her instantly. Why? Because he lowers himself, can I say that, to her world. He, She's coming to get water. Hey, I'm thirsty. There we are. We've got a connection point right there. And actually, he he puts himself in her pathway, quite literally now, she cannot avoid him. He has put himself in the way of harm. And, and she has to respond. So she either has to say, clear off. Or, oh, yeah, I'll help you. And actually now, he's thrown responsibility onto her. By engaging in a human way with her. He's not engaging as a Jew. He's not engaging as a rabbi. He's engaging as a thirsty person. Yeah, and actually that draws her in to his his world. Will you give me a drink? A, a meaningful connection. It's one thing to go to Samaria; it's another thing to enter it. That's a bit more tricky. That's where most of us struggle, if we're honest. And I'm not very good at this stuff. See, I, I love the Bible. I'm a teacher. You put me in front of five people or five thousand people and say, "Teach them," and I've died and gone to heaven. Right? That's what I love to do. Ah. Uh, you know, say to me, go and knock that door and tell that person about Jesus. And I, I start to knock at the knees. You know, I'm just like, why? Oh, I'm not sure I can do that. I struggle with that stuff. I've struggled with it all my life because I'm not a natural, believe it or not, I'm not a natural extrovert. I struggle with that stuff. So what I've had to do in learning from Jesus is find connectors. Find something that I can connect to somebody with that sort of takes the pressure off me. Yeah? So let me give you an example. I'm flying uh, from Manchester to Singapore. It's a long flight. It's a 14-hour flight. I mean, there's only so many TV movies you can watch on a plane. 14 hours with legs the length of mine. And so when I'm checking in, I try to book the bulkhead seat in economy. So it's the closest thing you're going to get to business class in economy. So you sit right at the front of the cabin and you've got extra leg room essentially. But the risk with a bulkhead seat, for anyone that's traveled anywhere in the world, long haul, the risk of a bulkhead seat is you're likely to bump into families with small children. All right? Now that sounds cool. Some of you are going, oh, it's lovely, it's lovely, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it can be, it can be. As a father of three children, uh, I'm blessed. Uh, but 14 hours beside a small infant on a plane can be an interesting experience and and this is absolutely true i remember walking walking uh, onto the plane and as i got to my bulkhead seat and it was an aisle seat as well so i was doubly blessed aisle seat and bulkhead i got to my seat there's a young woman sitting there in the middle seat with a three-year-old and what looks like an 18 month old child this was this was her first words i'm not making this up Okay, for a fact. This is genuinely what she said. She said to me, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and being a sensitive 21st century male who's raised three of his own children, 
I said, oh, don't worry about it, love. My wife bought me some noise reduction headphones. That was my response to her. Really sensitive. Uh, thanks for that, John. And moving on. Um, and so and so I sat down beside her and I said, listen, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Now, Dawn would tell you, my wife was here, she would tell you, I wasn't a great baby dad. And I know that's a shocker, but I'm, I wasn't great with babies. I, I'm sort of awkward with babies, you know. Do you know that? Do you know what I mean? I'm just not a natural with that. Uh, I'm just not good. I'm not a 21st century male, and I apologize. Please forgive me. Uh, you know, don't throw anything at me after the service. I'm just not, I love my kids. You know, I've always loved them, and I love them now because, you know, I, I interact with them. We're friends now, and I'm friends with all three of my children. Babies. I just wasn't good with it. So, so right, I have three children. In, in the whole of the upbringing of three children, I changed eight nappies. That's not eight a week. That's eight. Eight. I know some of you are going, David, why have you invited him to our church? He's backslidden. He's not even a Christian. I don't even know why he's preaching in this pulpit. I can feel the condemnation. Listen, remember, I'm talking about grace and truth, all right? I'm grace and truth. That's true. Absolutely true. So, so what happened next was truly amazing because I turned to this woman... And I heard my mouth say, this is what I heard my mouth say, if during the flight you want help with the baby, I'll, I'll help you. I heard my, I, it came out of my mouth before I could stop it. It was like, what is that? What did you, you crackers. Um, and so, so actually she said, oh, that would be really nice. And here's me hoping she'll not need my help because she'll probably be a super mum and she'll be fine. Anyway, halfway through the flight, the inevitable happened. The child is grisly. It's difficult. The whole flight's, you know, it's, it's just a hard, it's a hard slog. Everybody's sleeping except this baby and everybody, everyone on the front row with them. So, so I said to her, do you want me to take him? She said, would you? It would give me a chance to get freshened up and get cleaned and sort out the other one and blah, blah, blah. So I just took the baby. And he was great, actually. He was lovely. I thought, this is okay. I can do this. And so we walked around the plane together. Wouldn't let me in business class, but we walked around economy. <laughs> oh, no. You're not coming in here with a baby. Oh, no. Ebola, yes. Babies, no, no. You're not coming in with a baby. So, so it's like you can't come in. So I'm walking around. And I must have walked around for about 40 minutes, which was good for me. It was exercise on the plane. And the child actually settled. I sat down with the woman. I said, there he is. He's okay. And she said to me, do you know, it was really kind of you. She said, thank you for your generosity. And then she opened up. She said to me, where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you on this plane? And, and actually, I was able to talk to her at that point about my faith. Turns out she's a backslider. Used to love Jesus. Backslidden. Living in Melbourne, which was where I was ultimately going. Stopping off in Singapore. And actually... In my conversation, I was able to talk to her about a journey back to faith. A backslider with two babies. And what opened the door wasn't the badge Reverend John Andrews or PhD. It was, I'll help you with a baby. Now, even a numpty like me can do that. If I can do that, you could do that. That can be a bit inconvenient sometimes and difficult. But actually, I, I learned a lesson that day, which was so powerful, that, that in order to connect with a broken world, I, I've got to, forgive the language, I don't mean this in a condescending way, but I've got to come down. I, I've, got to, 
I can't expect people to come up. I've got a, it's like Jesus, can I have a drink? When he did that, he's, he's on her level. Whatever her level is, he's now down at her level and he's with her. And actually, for this woman, what, what she didn't need was some snooty, condescending comment about, hope that baby's going to be quiet. I've paid a lot of money for this ticket, which I've heard people say to parents on planes. But when she, she heard an offer of help, it opened the door. Grace opened the way for truth. You see that? Grace makes a way, truth shows a way. You could do that. Maybe there's a neighbor and their grass is a bit overgrown because they just can't push that lawnmower anymore because their hips are bad. And you say, I'll cut your grass for you. I've got my own grass to cut. I know, I know. But actually, cutting that grass as an act of grace could open the door for a word of truth. I mean, let's face it. Ladies and gentlemen, why should anyone listen to us? What, what gives us the right for the world to stop and say, everybody listen to me? What, what? I have no right to do that. I have to earn the right to get someone to listen to me. Maybe it's that person at work, they're a pain. And nobody goes near them. Nobody ever buys them a coffee. Nobody ever engages with them because they are a pain. And yeah, I get that. But, but actually, if no one ever engages with them, they'll always be a pain. Yeah. Maybe that young person struggling with homework. A little bit of, a little bit of tenderness could open the door to truth. Come on, are you there? You there? My time's almost gone, but let me, let me, let me uh, say this. Uh, am I okay for a couple more minutes? What time do you want me to finish? It? No, no. Uh, another five minutes, is that okay? Yep. You, you're okay down the back. That's fine, right? I'll, I'll, I'll take that as a go. All right. Here we go. Number three, really quickly. So he, he, he went to her world and he entered her world. Look at this, number three. He engaged with her world. It says this, that Jesus sat down by the well. That's a very distinctive action. And, and the well would have been a big, big circular um, uh, construction. And it would have had a sort of a, a lid on the top. So Jesus could literally sit. So it wasn't a little, we think of a little farm well. This was a huge thing. This was a community well. And so Jesus would have sat on it. And, and there he's sitting there. And it says this. It was about noon. Now, the Bible gives us that detail for a reason. That's a really important piece of information. It's not just telling us about the time. It's telling us about the opportunity. Uh, noon in the Middle East is baking hot. Only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. That's what the song says. As an Irishman, I didn't make that up. That's, that's a song. Um, they're all looking at me. He's just been really offensive to me as an English person. Now, that's a song. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun. Now, people who live in a hot climate don't go out in the middle of the day. Or if they do, they walk in the shade. Not like us Brits who are walking around with bacon oil on us, you know, trying to get a tan and frying at the same time. They all think we're crackers. You people are bonkers walking in the sun. Here's Jesus in the noonday sun, the hottest part of the day in the Middle East, sitting in the open at a well. Culturally, crackers. But why is he doing that? Because here's his rationale. Anyone who comes to this well now doesn't have any friends. 
That's it. And he's right. This woman doesn't have any friends. In fact, she's so morally disreputable that even in the context of Samaria that the Jews would say, you know, they're, they're like down the bottom of the food chain, even the Samaritans say she's further down the bottom of the food chain. She's a really bad woman. She's had five husbands and the man she's living with is not her husband. Which in the context of his world was a massive issue. Huge issue. Yeah. I mean that would get her on the Jeremy Kyle show today, wouldn't it? <laughs> and our guest today, all the way from Samaria, is. And in the background we have all five husbands. In the, I mean, this is, this is the stuff Jeremy Kyle would die to show. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. This is Jeremy Kyle material in the first century world. And she's no mates. So Jesus sits by the well in order to engage with this woman. And, and actually the power of the gospel is, is so dynamic that actually it's about reaching into people's worlds and drawing them to God's community and God's grace. But, but actually some people like this woman, now listen to me carefully, there are people like this woman will never, ever come to a place like this. They'll never come here. Do you know why? Because they feel not worthy. And you're going, ah, oh, they shouldn't feel like that. We're just ordinary people. Yeah, I know you knew that. But out there, she and he feels, I, I, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm like. If, if you knew the secrets in my head and my history, you wouldn't want me in this building. And actually, there are people like her that won't come here. Not because what we've got to offer isn't good for her. We, we have something amazing. But because she feels she couldn't come here. This woman, if she lived in Stapleford, wouldn't be here. She wouldn't be here. Do you know why she wouldn't be here? Because she'd be afraid we'd judge her. Because everybody else did. And so Jesus knows she's never going to show up at my synagogue seminar. So... I'll sit by the one place I know she'll be. The well. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? Is, is that, that's grace. That's the gospel that touches us and helps us. We had a, a young woman in our church became a Christian. Her husband was a bit freaked out by the fact she became a Christian. It absolutely messed with his brain. And it messed with his brain for two reasons. Number one, instead of lying in bed with her, with him on a Sunday morning, she was getting up and going to church. That absolutely freaked him out. Uh, because what's happening to my wife? And secondly, she was changing. And, and he, she was changing in front of his face. And it was freaking him out. But he wouldn't come to church. He would not come through the door of the church. No way am I going in there. Bunch of freaks doing to my wife. So I, I talked to his wife. And I said, well, what does he do? What does he like? I said, well, he loves squash. Well, I, I love squash at the time. I was pretty good at squash at the time. I'd probably have a heart attack now if I played squash. But at the time, I was pretty good at it. And I said, oh, I like squash. Would he play with me? She said, he might. And so I said, I'll give him a call. So I phoned him and I said, Steve, do you want to go and play squash? And he, went, and he went, yeah, okay then. So we went and played squash. I played with him for four weeks, never mentioned God once. Even though he mentioned God quite a few times on the court. Uh, I, I never mentioned God once. All right, uh, so you got that far too quickly. That was that was good. I like that. But seriously, he was like, you know, uh, going for it on the court. And I never mentioned God once in four weeks. Fifth week, we're playing together. We're in the shower. There's no one. There's no one in the 
in the change room, just me and him. We've had a shower. We're now sort of toweling down and we're talking. And, uh, and I just sort of talking with him. And here's what he said to me. He said, you know, one of the main reasons, he just, he started the conversation. One of the main reasons I don't come to church is because I believe there is no God and we're here because there was a bang, a big bang, and that's it. Evolution holds. So he, he explained it in, in more eloquent details than that. But he essentially said, I don't want to go to church because there is no God and I believe that it's a big bang, right? And he said to me, and this is what he said, he said, science answers all my questions as to how the world came about. That's what he said to me. So I thought, well, there's two ways I can go here. I can get into this argument and we can talk about evolution or that's trying. So my brain's firing off and I felt the Holy Spirit give me a question for him or give me a statement. And I said, Steve, science answers how the world came about for you, right? Yeah. I said, what about why? That was it. So what about why? And it was as if, honestly, I'm not making this up. It was as if I had taken a hammer out of my bag and plonked him right on the head. He just looked at me. And he could see his brain just frying. It's just, and he had honestly, as a man in his early 30s, he had never thought of the why question. It's unbelievable to me. Anyone could live that long and not think, why? Why are we here? He had never thought of the why question because science was answering all his questions for him and it was literally the Holy Spirit just plunked him right on the, on the brain, right on the head. And within two weeks, he became a follower of Jesus. Now, why? Well, you say, well, it's because, John, your sophisticated theological approach in the, in the change room. No, no, because we played squash. And in the context of playing squash... It gave him the chance to ask his question yeah, very good. and put his point of view. That's it. Yeah. Very good. Now, squash may not be your thing. Uh, and if it's not your thing, don't ask anybody to go and play squash with you. <laughs> you know, or they'll be giving you mouth to mouth, which could, I mean, that could be an opportunity for you in another way. Um, but, but don't do that. Yep. But, but you might have another thing or your neighbor might have a thing or your friend at work may have a thing. Now listen, provided it's moral and legal, we can't do things with them that are immoral or illegal. Well, you know, he's into selling drugs. Well, I can help you with that. I'm really entrepreneurial. No, 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 no. Stop, stop. Okay, we're pulling that back. So whatever their thing is that we want to connect to, it has to be moral and legal. Is that all right? Which still gives us a lot of choice. But seriously, sometimes just finding somebody's thing is the key. Yeah? Here's the last thing and I'm done. Is that okay? Lastly, he challenged her world. I want to leave you with this. So we've had lots of grace here. He, He goes to her world. He enters her world. He engages with her world. And then lastly, he challenges her world. At some point, this is going to get ugly. She's had five husbands living with a bloke. And a Samaritan, no mates, a, a, a candidate for the Jeremy Kyle show. Jesus is God in flesh, pure as a driven snow, rabbi par, par excellence and a Jew. At some point, this is going to go south. This is going to get ugly. And it does. He says to her, go home and call your husband. He says, well, I don't have a husband. And then he, he hits it. He says, I know that. He said, in fact, you've had five husbands and the man you're with is not your husband. And she sort of, it's, it's a bit of a comical moment. She says, I perceive you are a prophet. 
That's quite funny. Um, yeah, that's pretty sharp. I perceive you are a prophet. Bet your life on it. Uh, I'm a prophet. But, but note this. He, he shines a window into her world without condemning her in her world. Wow. Note that. Now, we read that and we interpret. He, well, he's, 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 he's condemning her. No, no. There's not a tone of condemnation in his comment. He's simply commenting on the condition of her world, not on her. Wow. And probably for the first time, she's had a man make a comment about her that wasn't judgmental. We didn't read the end of the story. She goes off back to her area where she lives. She's so dramatically impacted by the conversation with this Jewish rabbi, this man of God, that she's now got all her friends. and uh, Well, people that she knows, probably not friends, but people that know her. And here's what she says. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I mean, she's learning already. I mean, there it is. What a technique. She says, hey, you want to get all the juicy bits? Let's come. Come on. This guy told me everything I ever did. And, and people from the village show up to hear Jesus because of what they heard her say. And it says, initially, they sort of received the message because of her, and then they received it for themselves. She was so impacted by his non-condemnation of her that she felt confident to go back to her world and say, come and meet somebody. This guy's amazing. This guy's incredible. In, In between going from my first little pioneer church to my second church in Rotherham, I took a job in the third largest school in the United Kingdom, well, in England, uh, Outwood Grange in Wakefield. It had, at the time, 2,100 pupils. And uh, it, was like, it was bigger than my village. So the village I was working in had 2,000 residents. This school was bigger than the village I was living in. And, uh, and so I went to school. I was a special needs assistant, which essentially meant I shadowed special needs children in mainstream education. So I helped them write down their work or I helped them make sure they got the homework in place or I helped them with stuff. So it was a brilliant concept. I loved the idea and I absolutely loved working there. It was just wonderful. Well, uh, the department I worked in had 20 women in it and one man, me. So I was, I was the lone male um, coming into this world of, of education in this particular department. Well, the word had got out, apparently, I didn't know this at the time, that a vicar was joining the team. And uh, so I turned up, I know this is very uncool, but it was the time it's Toy Story, and I turned up with my Toy Story lunchbox. I don't know why I did that, um, but it, it seemed cool at the time. Uh, and so I had my Toy Story lunchbox, and I put it in my little box uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the office, and I went off and did my first morning's work, and then I came back, opened up my Toy Story box, got my drink ready to go, about to eat my ham sandwich, and a young woman called Catherine came and sat down beside me quite aggressively. And she plunked herself down and she looked straight at me. And here's what she said. This is her opening line. She said, hello, my name's Catherine and my mother's a lesbian. (laughs) I'm about to eat a ham sandwich. Now, you know, my, my Celtic brain fired off, you know, and I wanted to say, hello, I'm John and my dad's a heterosexual. I mean, that's what I wanted to say to her. But, but I thought that's probably not appropriate. And, and that was her opening line. She went, hello, I'm Catherine, and my mother's a lesbian. And I went, hello, Catherine. It's nice to meet you. 
Um, it's my first day at work. How you doing? Want a sandwich? Uh, and, and me and Catherine started to talk. Now, here's the thing. Catherine was a complete, uh, like genuinely, I'm using the word properly, a pagan. She, she believed in pagan religion. She was absolutely 100% locked and loaded anti-Christian. I mean, she hated Christianity. But me and Catherine became the best of mates, weirdly, which probably says something about me more than her. We became the best of mates. And here's what Catherine said to me months later as I was preparing to leave. She said, you are the only person that I've been able to have a meaningful conversation about God with, without, without being judged, without feeling that my life is broken. She said, remember that day when you joined our office? I said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I have a tattoo, love, that has that line on it. Um, absolutely. That's been scarred into my consciousness. She said, absolutely. She says, she says, you know why I did that? I said, no, she said, because I heard you were a Christian. I heard you were a pastor, vicar, and I wanted to know. Listen to what she said, now listen. Were you one of those bigoted pastors who hate homosexuals? That's what she said to me. Now, if I had to turn around and say, hey, get lost. It's disgusting. I hate your way of life. I hate what your mother stands. If I had done that, door was shut. It's all over. Now, do I, dis- do I agree with her mother's lifestyle? No, I don't. I'm, a, I'm a, a follower of Jesus. I don't agree with that lifestyle. But here's the point. The point is, she wanted to know how I would respond to her brokenness and to her world. Would I be like everybody else? And condemn her, or would I give her an opportunity? Said this last night you can accept without approving. You can be generous without compromise. Jesus sits with a woman who, in his culture, now don't be offended, in his culture, she is filthy. She is dirty, morally, spiritually dirty. In fact, the Pharisees of Jesus' world would say that Jesus would now be contaminated. He would have to go away and make himself clean and probably take 10 days to ceremonially clean himself because this woman was so filthy. Do you know the reason she stayed in her filth? It's because no one who was clean ever came near her. If all the clean people hang together, all the dirty people stay dirty. Forgive my language. I just said, if we all hang together, we just stay really clean together. But actually, a dirty world, a broken world, needs clean, whole people who will, who will say, there's another way. And even though he confronts her, even though he confronts her, he confronts her without condemning her, and he confronts her in such a way that she says, I like this. This is nothing like I've ever heard before. Wow. That was 2,000 years ago. Doesn't it sound familiar? I mean, this is, this is Stableford, isn't it? This is the Haven. This is Rotherham. This is Sully Hull. This is where we live. And actually, Jesus shows us what grace and truth looks like. Grace that opens the door, shows the way, as it were. Opens the way, and then truth 
that takes people on the journey actually engages them with the way. Jesus manages to take a woman and bring her on a journey that is absolutely impossible. But by the end of the conversation, she is ready to surrender her life to the Messiah. It's absolutely amazing. And it all starts because he went through Samaria. It started because he asked for a drink. It started because he sat down at the hottest part of the day knowing that she would be on her own. And it, and it concluded with truth that transformed her life. I, I'm not saying that there are people like her in your world, but I am saying there are people in your world lost like her. And actually, if me and you could over the next few weeks just be open to the Holy Spirit, be a wee bit intentional, be willing to be slightly inconvenienced, just a bit. Step into someone else's world for five minutes. It just could be the act of grace that brings them to truth. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Bless you. Thank you for allowing me to run over time. Bless you. But I felt it was an important message for you in the context of the weekend. Is that okay? Yes. All right. Let me pray for you. You've been amazing. Now listen, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, nothing I have said today has offended you. Hope you catch the spirit of that. I haven't set out to offend anyone. I have come to challenge us a little bit. So, so there's a challenge there, a challenge for me and a challenge for you. But this church has secured this fantastic building for we don't know how long. This becomes a bridge. It, this place will literally become a haven, literally, for broken people. There are people that will walk into this building and go, this feels amazing. Now, what they're saying is, I can feel the presence of God, but they don't know the religious language yet. And they go, wow, this is great. This, this feels great. It's because they're experiencing something they've never experienced before. And those, those opportunities, those kids playing in the ball pool, the, 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 the groups that are going on, the people that are being ministered to, they're all grace offers that open up the door for truth so that God's truth can come. And here's what's going to happen over the next six months, eight months of your journey. You're going to see people come to truth because of the cup of coffee, the way it was served. You're going to see people come to truth because a volunteer helped the mum with her baby in the Tots group. People are going to come to truth because the ball pool is free. It's really deep, isn't it? And, and sometimes, actually, we underestimate the power of grace, the power of generosity. And we're doing that corporately, but the challenge of the Holy Spirit is to you as an individual. Are you, are you willing... Are we willing to be a bit like Jesus? Put ourselves out a little bit. Show grace and generosity. And then make room for the truth of God's word in someone's life. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you came to us full of grace and truth. You didn't just come with a huge stick to beat the world with. And you could have done that. But Lord, you came with grace to heal the world. You didn't come to condemn us. You came to save us. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Lord, we want to thank you for that message. We want to thank you that there are people in this room, literally, who are literally alive. Not just spiritually alive. Some of us are literally alive in this room because of your grace. Hadn't it been for your grace, we'd have been dead by now. And Lord, we want to be a community that shows that amazing grace to our world. We want to be a community that shows that amazing grace to our neighbors and our friends. And to those people we don't really like that much. But Lord, they're lost too. They're broken. And I pray for us as individuals as we go to our world, school, college, work, friends, community, neighborhood, even for some of us back to our immediate family where there are lost people in it. Lord, I pray that you'll fill us with the power of your grace to be generous, to reach out, to enter in, to connect to. And that, Lord, through that act of generosity, it will make an opportunity for truth. Lord, we know that some people will receive generosity and just run for the hills and take it and and not want anything to do with the truth. But, Lord, we also know there there are people like this woman who in experiencing grace will hunger for truth. And so, Lord, I pray you bless this amazing church. Give them favor over this building. Give them favor in the development of this building. Give them favor in the organization of this program and these projects. May the grace projects that are at the heart of this this uh, enterprise, Lord, may they expand and increase and enlarge and may lives be changed. And Lord, I pray that we will see men and women, young people, radically saved and changed by the power of the gospel because of the grace of this community in Jesus' name. So Lord, I ask you to bless every person in this room. As we go back to our world, may we go full of grace and truth. And may, Lord God, our world be impacted be enriched, be enlarged, and even, we pray, transformed by a grace and truth community. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you.